0: To Hebrews chapter two. Thank you for being patient for that prologue intro. I'm sorry it's been heavy on my heart all week since the prayer died. Lord's like I, I just want to. I'm just communicating what God has been putting on my heart, and hopefully, it uh, sets the table for Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. If you can turn there, but also turn uh, in the Old Testament. The Law and Prophets to Joshua chapter 23. <clears throat> two places for the price of one this morning. Hebrews 2, Joshua 23. Just a few verses from both. I'm not reading the two chapters, but a few ber- verses from both places. And we'll start with Hebrews 2, but then I'll. Go back to, or go over to Joshua 23, and I just want you to see a couple of words of comparison between what God writes to the church and what he wrote to Israel, and that there is a parallel message here from the Lord for us, and, and we need it. Hebrews 2, starting with verse 1, Therefore, we must give the earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Aren't you glad God has that kind of power? Turn over to Joshua 23, we see that same kind of power demonstrated in the life of Joshua and Moses before him. But look what he says, and hopefully these things are both encouraging to us and a strong warning as well. Joshua 23, verse 6, and I've taken strength from these kind of verses and these specific verses many times, and you perhaps have as well, but just kind of think of them in comparison to what's written to uh, uh, the church in the book of Hebrews. Verse 6. Joshua 23, therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left hand. Instead of drift, this says unless you veer off, it's the same thing, right? You're drifting into another lane, driving, it's the same thing. God is saying to all his people for all time, careful that you keep your eyes on what's most important, because you're tending to drift, right or left. He goes on, verse 8, hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done this day. Now, the thing you don't have to worry about is God's already holding on to us, but we're commanded to hold on to him. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you do this as a parent. You grab your kid's hand and you say what? Hold my hand. Why say that if you grab their hand? Because you're made in the image of God. In the same way you grab your kid's hand, you you surely grabbed it, and you meant it, but you say, hold my hand, don't let go. That's what God says to us. Verse 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord. Is that not awesome? Maybe this year God wants you to chase, instead of chase a thousand, save a thousand. Who fights for you as he promised for you. We need these kind of promises. Therefore, verse 11 Take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. It's going to take you have to take heed to love God. He, he'll never have to take heed to love us. He already does, but we will have to take heed to love Him. Go back to Hebrews chapter two. And somebody ask you this question: You look at those two passages. Do you want to glorify God in your life, and do you want to have victory over sin and Satan? Do you want to glorify God? And do you want to have victory over sin and Satan in your life? I know I do. Even though I don't bring anything to the table, somehow God has made us like little mirrors that we can glorify him. We didn't make ourselves little mirrors. He does that, and then we're able to reflect. Like the moon doesn't give off any light. We know this. The sun hits it, and it reflects the light. The moon's a dull, dusty place. It's not a fireball like the sun. But God can take dull, dusty people like us, and we can reflect him. So we want to glorify God, but we know that has to be his work. He has to shine on us. And two, we do want to have victory over sin and Satan, but we know that our flesh is really strong, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of. That's what Joshua is reminding the children of Israel of. Here's the good news. You can't have one without the other. Now, it would be bad news, too, if you... If you glorify God, guess what? You will have victory over sin and Satan. If you're having victory over sin and Satan, you'll be glorifying God. They are linked together like two sides of a coin, right? They'll always be together. Anytime we're glorifying God, we'll be having victory over sin and Satan. Anytime we're having victory over sin and Satan, we'll be glorifying God. They're inextricably, or perpetually, I should say, they're perpetually connected. Now, we saw just a little review, and some of you weren't here uh, last week. We weren't in Hebrews. We had Alan Miranda here, and then the week before that uh, was our second part of chapter one. But just to, by way of review, we saw in chapter one, if you think back to chapter one, or if you haven't read chapter one, uh, sometime this week, read chapter one. It'll help you as we go through, and go ahead and read all of chapter two in advance as well. But we saw in chapter one the centrality, the supremacy, the glory, and the majesty of Jesus. And that's an understatement, isn't it? Because we can't really comprehend. We can't comprehend his glory and majesty until we see him face to face. But I know it's true. How about you? We saw that God the Father sent his son to the earth to be a witness of himself and that all that was prophesied beforehand, including what Joshua said and what Moses said and Elijah said and others, all the law and prophets, we saw that Jesus himself became the witness of everything that was said beforehand, right? Right in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, we saw that Christ was sent by himself, because only he could do it, to purge our sins. Aren't you glad for the cross? This coming month of April, we'll be remembering Palm Sunday and Jesus going to the cross and finally the resurrection. Uh, In other words, though, Jesus himself is our atonement. Chapter 1 tells us this, the payment for our sins. We saw the uniqueness of, of Jesus' relationship with his Father. What a unique relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that we we can conceptually understand how God presents it, but it's beyond our comprehension as well. But we see that unique relationship of God the Father and his Son, and then God's intent to bring us into a relationship with him through Jesus into that same depth of relationship we saw that Jesus is not only the heir of all things and the creator of all things, but that after he finished his mission, after he finished his mission, he returned to the throne that rightly belongs to him and glory and perfection. Here's a cool thing that God reminded me this morning, this whole thing. God says, I've sent you on a mission. I'm on a mission right now in this pulpit. I'm on a mission, and when I complete it, I get to go to heaven and spend forever with Jesus. You're on a mission, whether you realize it or not. You are on a mission right now. God has you sent to your workplace. God has you sent to your unsaved family members. God has you sent to minister to your wife and kids. You have a mission to complete. Uh, God already knows how long it is, how many paragraphs are in the book, all that good stuff. He knows you have a mission to do, but you have to complete it. When you complete it, then he's going to call you home to sit with Jesus. Isn't that great? But Jesus, unlike us, he, won't fa- he never failed in any aspect. the mission. you and I fail parts of the mission, don't we? But he didn't. He finished it to perfection, rose and sat down with his father. We saw that Jesus was and is anointed with the power of God and gladness of joy because of what? Because of his obedience to the father and that you and I are called to the same obedience and thereby, thereby with obedience we can experience the anointing of joy. Do you believe that? Joy does not come through winning the Powerball lottery. Wasn't it $750 million this week? I was thinking of all the great things I could do for God. But I, he never seems to work that way in my life. How about yours? <laughs> Always works in some person in New Jersey or New Hampshire or you know, someone else. like They get to work that way, but it doesn't work that way. But, but joy comes through obedience, and Jesus demonstrated that, and we saw that in chapter 1, and so... Uh, chapter 1 clearly establishes for us that the foundation of our salvation, of the Word of God, of our worship, of our relationship with God, the foundation of it all is Jesus, the chief cornerstone, everything the Scriptures say. That it's His name and there's no other way. Amen? Now as we open chapter 2, go back to chapter 2, it says, therefore we must give more earnest heed. Now, I didn't make this up, struck me years ago. I got saved in 1995, and early on I heard this. It stayed with me. Whatever you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, right? And you need to understand, all right, so if it's saying therefore, it's connecting back to the previous verses, to the previous thoughts or concepts. And the answer to the therefore in the macro, you guys understand? Macro versus micro. So the answer to that therefore, the Bible uh, has this principle of duality that it often will speak to more than one things at one time and then there's the primary and then there's the secondary context of something But the, and the macro the therefore speaks to in all of chapter 1 that Christ is at the center of everything that's the macro so therefore since Christ is the center of everything and worthy of everything you're going to need to take heed to all these things That's the macro. The I believe that the uh, the micro here, though, is therefore refers directly back to verse 14. So look at verse 14. This would be, again, the macro is all of verses 1 through 14. The micro is the specific verse of verse 14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister those who will inherit what? Salvation. I've inherited salvation. Have you inherited salvation? If you've inherited, once you get an inheritance, you want to take care of it. Amen? Yeah, we got an inheritance, but I never never bothered to sign the check. I think you'd be a little more diligent than that, right? So it refers directly back to verse 14. Now, in addition to Jesus paving the way of our salvation, God also, in verse 14, it tells us, God had sent angels in advance... And in support, because he says here, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? I've never met an angel but I know that some have ministered on my behalf and they have yours as well. This is clear. And One of these days I'm going to do a whole teaching on it because I want to clarify what angels are, what they aren't. They're never to be worshipped. They're never to be put on any pedestal. But yet they do minister and have ministered in this verse and others in the New Testament and the Old Testament verify this for us. But they minister to those who have received salvation because God is trying to keep us as salt and light in a fallen world. Amen? That's what it is. So sometimes I know that there's been times where God has surrounded me and I thought there's no way I'm going to make it, and somehow I did. And so, so have you. Because we have a mission to complete. We have a mission to complete. So the Lord is doing that work, and he has sent these angels both in support um, and in advance of the Lord Himself, because even Angel came to Jesus and strengthened Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also to prepare the way for certain things. And so we're the ones that have inherited salvation. So God has said, I've done this on your behalf. But I believe the writer is getting added emphasis also in this. Understand that, uh, that if God is assuring us victory and His divine help, He's saying, my angels don't fail. When I send them on a mission, they don't fail. If God is assuring us victory and divine help, then we need to be responsible and responsive with gratitude, with obedience, and diligence, and even what Joshua said, with some courage. Because it's not easy to stand for Jesus in today's world, is it? Some of the things you're going to tell people, they are not going to like you. And, and, and your flesh isn't going to want to do certain things. So God's saying, I'm, I'm going to need you to stay thankful, to stay obedient, to stay diligent. And I'll, I'll send you all the help you need. Your part is to keep hold. I grab your hand. You don't let go. Amen? That's what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 2 here. Furthermore, the angels were obedient, and we also need to be obedient. The angels were obedient, and we need to be obedient. I tell, I've said it plenty of times. Everybody but mankind is, is obedient. God tells whales to do what they do. They do it. <laughs> Donkeys, they do it. Us, we like, eh, give me an hour. And I mean, think about it for a month or a week. Let me pray about it. I, I don't feel called to pray, Lord, and all this <laughs> stuff. Right? Several weeks back, um, we talked about that in Romans 12.1, uh, that due to the mercies of God, um, and, and the mercies of God are pre-salvation, in salvation, and post-salvation are walking out of, of our faith. But it's we, we, I talked about that in Romans 12:1, it's our reasonable service to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That's what the Scriptures say. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans. And we talked about that the word reasonable means logical. Paul's like, it's your logical response. If God has sent forth to pave the way for you to be saved through Christ he's put all that you need to walk out for him in a dark and fallen world, then it's your logical response to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Every morning, present yourself as, as, as uh, Abraham prayed, Lord, I'm just but dust and ashes, use me in some way, and God will. He'll breathe into us daily. But that's the mindset of moving into chapter 2, is that God wants to remind us we're, we need to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Our salvation is so great. Do you believe that? Sometimes I forget how great our salvation is. Sometimes I forget how great my wife is. You got Mother's Day guys coming up. You can remember this, right? Sometimes I forget how great my kids are. Sometimes I forget important things. Is that just me? And I'll be I'll be focused on something dumb like, "Don't bother me. I'm checking the sports score on Twitter." You know, that, you know. It's very important. Five minutes later, I'm like, I didn't even like the score. Why didn't I didn't even look at that, you know, that kind of thing. So God is reminding us what is important here, so we don't uh, get distracted away from our new life in Jesus and completing the mission that He has called us to complete, same as His footsteps. If you're taking notes, uh, a salvation that stirs us is what we're looking at, and uh, the first thing we're going to look at, and just two things this morning, just two things. One is don't forget which I already have up on the screen. Don't forget, if you're taking notes. The first thing, we'll look at don't forget and don't neglect, those two things. But the first here, um, I need to show a picture. that, that I'm going I'm to read a story in just a second, but, but before I read this story, I need to show a picture for the younger people. My daughters were all born, my oldest was, our oldest, our oldest was born in the year 2000, and then uh, 2002 and then 2005. Yes, I got it right. I can't believe that, but got them all right. And so they all were born when Wi-Fi already existed. And the oldest was born like two years before the iPhone was released. And so in our family, uh, our girls, they kind of have grown up with technology has always been all around them and, and then you know, streaming and all this stuff is normal. But, um, but when I read this story, I want the young people to be able to relate to it because Those of us who uh, went to high school in the 80s, you'll know what this is. I graduated high school in 1987, uh, my wife in 1990, and so we were 80s kids. We still like 80s music and all that stuff, but um, kids, this was an 80s smartphone. I just need you to understand what this is. This was an 80s smartphone. You had to be smart enough to know where to find it. You had to be smart enough to have a quarter in your pocket, or smart enough to place a collect call, it, the person would answer and say, that's convincing enough for me to re- receive the collect call. And so these were, your op- these were your smart options. And then we had a search engine, and it was this thing right here. <laughs> we called it a phone book. And, and when you went to the library, you had index card. We had search engines all over, but they were paper. They were usually big. And you were part of the search engine. Your mind and your fingers were part of the search engine. And so you had to know how the alphabet worked. You had to know A through Z. You had to know where the alphabet was. You had to figure out, uh, do, do I need to be looking at the yellow pages or the white pages, and all these things. You, were the search- you and the paper worked together. You were a team. So when I read this story, It will make more sense to you because otherwise you'll be thinking, I can't relate to it. What is it talking about? Yellow Pages? What is Yellow Pages? (laughs) Yellow Pages. Someday it may come back if there's a. In our family, um, and I think in a lot of teens, period, you know, today when the Wi Fi goes out, they think Armageddon is like within (laughs) seconds away because nobody can connect anything and all, you know, so. But this was the way we lived in the 80s. So this will make sense when I read this. True story. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, it's written by, it's told by Charles Paul Kahn in his book that he wrote in the 80s called Making It Happen. But listen to it and you'll see why I gave this little illustration. He writes, th- he says this, he said, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages, got it that That's that book right there. In the listing of restaurants, an entry for a place called the Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, and I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. And I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And he told me, well, we had a little mission down here and started selling chicken dinners after Sunday services to help pay the bills. Well, people loved the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving the chicken dinners. We kept the name that we started with, and that's the Church of God Grill. True story. True story. Sad that a church went from reaching souls to satisfying customers and growing profits. I I was in the business world for corporate America for, you guys know, 16, 17 years. I loved numbers. I loved marketing. I loved all that stuff. And Lord says, I want you to say goodbye to that for the very opposite, to actually go reach people and to go present the gospel and to teach about Jesus and to study the scriptures instead of studying books about business or uh, all this kind of stuff. And yet here was a church that because they did something to pay the bills ended up basically drifting away completely from what they had started out to do. By the way, running a restaurant is not some sinful endeavor. We'd all agree with that, right? A bunch of you can't wait to head there in a couple of minutes. You know, you, uh, you're, you're ready to hit the restaurant. Sorry to make you hungry if I mention that. But, but the chicken dinner might have already done that to you. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, running a restaurant, it's not like running a drug ring it's not like running some loan sharking operation. It's not like some type of business that's tempting people to sin like you find in every city in the world. <clears throat> no, a restaurant meets a basic need, doesn't it? And some do it so good that people actually want to go there. Right? Really good food. And apparently, <clears throat> that's what the Church of God grow was doing. Doing good work. I mean, people love the food. They raved about the chicken. They were all about the chicken. But what started out as a ministry from the church to reach people and defray other ministry costs resulted in the church becoming a business and forsaking the commission given by Christ. That's a really kind of extreme example. True story, but it's an extreme example. But we have a tendency, wouldn't you agree, brother and sister, we have a tendency in our lives to slowly forget and lose sight of what's important And yet we're really focused and we're really engaged on things that are not important. True? It's easy to point the finger, oh, that church, I can't believe they did that. But we kind of do it in our own lives too, don't we? And God's not, he's not missing either scenario in ours or something like that. And if it wasn't a tendency and a general weakness in our humanity then it wouldn't be mentioned in the Scriptures. Why else would it say, lest we drift away, right? So the writer's saying, hey, this is is the propensity of your flesh. You will, as the hymn says, prone to wander. It's mentioned because we can very easily, it's a confirmation of the fact that we can spiritually drift away and forget the greatness of our salvation, the goodness of God. And not only can we drift and become forgetful of our spiritual priorities and the Word of God, um, (coughs) but the more we forget, the more worldly our thinking becomes. In other words, as you forget, you become more thinking like the unsaved world. The more we forget, the more we just, we just kind of drift into the culture. And if what the culture says is norm, we think is norm. Even though the Bible says I've called you to be separate, to come out from among them. And the more this happens, the more we forget, and the Lord is no longer front and center of our minds. You guys, some of you probably listen to Dr. Adrian Rogers sometimes on the radio. He went to be home with Lord Pastor Bellevue Baptist for years. And I love this quote from him. He says, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Now, we already talked about in the truest sense of the world, our righteousness already is filthy rags. But when you're reflecting God like the moon is reflecting the sun, you are doing what God's called you to do. But if Satan can't make you just go dive back into the world, he will make you busy. And your busyness will take you away from the Lord just as much as out and out sin. Now, let me ask you a few questions this morning. Have you forgotten why you were saved in the first place? It's to walk with the Lord. It's to abide in his grace. It's to glorify Jesus in a fallen world. It's to be a light to those without Christ. It's to serve as his hands and feet and to fulfill the will of God, not our wishes and dreams. Not our wishes and dreams. God's wish for you may be completely different than your wishes and dreams. Now, we don't like, like that some, but that's what Jesus made that clear for us he said thy will be done in the garden there have you drifted have you even noticed if you've drifted have you moved away from where you once used to walk with the lord are you as close to jesus as you once were are you as close to him as you once were have you lost interest in the things of the lord you just don't find them interesting anymore you just you know people you hear someone get saved you're like huh I'm more excited that my show is this or that. You know, that, just not, that doesn't really do much for me. Are you in God's Word? How is your prayer life? Are you in communion with God? Are you praying for others? Are, are you sharing your faith? When's the last time you actually invited someone to church or shared your faith or uh, even used your social media to, to actually proclaim the name of the Lord? Are you in fellowship? Man, I haven't gotten together with other Christians in a long time. That's where I see you for, you know, just a couple minutes on Sunday. And I'm like, see ya, right? No, that's not fellowship. How's your worship life? I mean, I, 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 before I get here on Sunday morning worship, I do a ton of worship. Then I come here and worship some more. So I have to be ready, filled up. Are you kind? If people met you, say that's a kind person, or they say they're a Christian, they're the meanest person at the office. I I would have never guessed it, you know, that kind of thing. I've seen, you've seen it too, right? When you find out someone tells you, I go to church too. I'm like, whoa. How did I miss this? You know, I thought you despised me and every person here, you know. Jesus loved the world. You have the opposite effect in the office here. You see, we should be moving forward in our salvation, moving closer to the Lord. We're closer to the end of our life. Then when this service started, are we getting closer to the Lord? By, fa- by what? By faith. In His grace. It's always His grace. It's always in His grace, none of us would get anything right. Through obedience and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, put the Holy Spirit in us. Because without the Holy Spirit, none of this is possible. Amen? I desperately need the Holy Spirit. He never lets go of us, but we still have to hold on to the Spirit of God in our life. And what I mean is that uh, the starting point of our salvation where the Holy Spirit was placed in us and we receive salvation, when we think about so great a salvation or a salvation that stirs us, the starting point of our salvation, yes, that saves us from future punishment of, sin, of, of hell and death, but that was also the starting point of our sanctification. That's how God is working out in us the life of Jesus. That's, that's what he... Has begun. So what does this mean? Uh, Sanctification. And sometimes you hear this word say, I don't know what sanctification means. I hear pastors use it. What does it mean? Sanctification or the word sanctified, the word in the original Greek means to be separate or to be set apart. Separate or to be set apart. So in other words, God says, I've taken you from where you were in the world, so now I want to separate you out that people would see that I've done a new work in you. But unfortunately... This is a lifetime process. We keep being separated out, 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 where God continues to make us more conform, separate us out because there's still world, you know, you're still picking little things out, you know? You ever had splinters and you thought you got all of them, there's a little piece left, a little other piece? That's, that's, God keeps taking the world out of us, right? little Little by little. Nobody was more clearly different from the world than Jesus. Would we all agree with that? Nobody is more clearly different, and yet he ministered to people, not from this high and lofty, I'm better than you, but he was clearly, people could see how different he was, and yet he was always there to minister to people. Uh, Christ has saved us that we would become ever more separated to him and his will and conform to his image, but also to walk as he walked in this world. And this is what the writers Hebrew reminded of Hebrews and say, hey, you're drifting back to looking like the world. Be careful of that. Get your eyes back on Jesus, the centrality that we talked about in chapter 1. God has promised to do his part, hasn't he? Hasn't he promised to help us? Anything. Minister and angels, the power of the Spirit, the Word of God itself. But we've been commanded to abide in Christ and to seek first his kingdom while he does this work in us. So clearly, I wanted to start with it. The the admonishment here is don't forget. Now, it's one thing to say, all right, I'm not going to forget. But if I'm not going to forget, there's there's something to do, right? Again, growing up, don't forget to take the trash out. All right? I did not forget. I just didn't do it, right? (laughs) One is I didn't forget, but I did neglect it, right? So if Jesus meets us at the end of the age... And we stand before him and say, I didn't forget any of this stuff. I just didn't do it. That's not a great answer, is it? It's not the answer I want to have. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You didn't forget it, and you didn't neglect it. You didn't forget it, and you go, well, I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. Right, you don't. That's why you gave you the Holy Spirit. So we don't have an excuse, do we? We don't have an excuse. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look just this last point, and this will bring us... To a close, this last point. Now let's look at the breakdown of these verses for just a second. Look back. at We, we know verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Okay? So this earnest heed is I'm not going to neglect this. If I've got to take the trash out, I'm going to now lace up my shoes. Now I'm going to get off couch. Now I'm going to start walking towards trash can. Now I'm going to pick trash up. Now I'm going to tie it. Now this is like teenage training 101, right? This is how this works. You know. John Wooden was famous in a coach of UCLA and he used to tell the players, he used to say, hey, now lace up the shoe one by one, all these little things. So we know that we have to take heed to these things. Look at verse 2, for the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. <clears throat> the word was steadfast. God says, my word can be trusted and there's both the opportunity to see the power of God in your life, but there's a, there's a warning here too that disobedience will someday be judged. Sometimes it's judged really quickly. Sometimes it's judged at the end of this age. Do you believe that God will judge everything? Yes. You know, the, 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 the teachers in your life and the coach in your life you love the most were both loving but firm. Loving but firm, right? Their word meant something. God's word means something. He says, I will love you to the end, but if you are going to reject me, disobedience will have some consequences. And we see that in verse 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, if it's really in us, we won't neglect it. Amen? If it's really in us, we won't neglect it. But it's just it's, it's said as a matter of fact that anything great that you've received, you wouldn't neglect it. You would receive it. If I gave you a million-dollar check, you would not be careless with it. Pretty sure you would say, I need a police escort to get to the house and get to the bank or whatever else. You would be very, very cautious in a good way. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So he's saying that this salvation was spoken by Jesus himself. It's confirmed by the word of God. It's confirmed by the apostles. It's confirmed by the scriptures. Verse 4, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. What is this saying here? This is saying that our salvation, unlike all the other false gods in the world, Jesus demonstrated with great teaching, great power, walking on water, feeding 5,000, raising from the dead, everything that secured our salvation but also pointed to Jesus is different than all the other humans that have gone the way of the grave and couldn't save you for a day, much less eternity. And he's saying, if all this is true, how would you neglect it? Amen? Amen. So, if the Lord is warning us and reminding us and reasoning with us, how will we respond? And I believe he's doing all that, wouldn't you? He's warning us. He's reminding us. He's reasoning with us from a standpoint of love. Yes, it's all a function of his love and his grace. I mentioned um, uh, that church that was paying off medical debt, right? That... um, it's not that uh, me asking you to pray for revival, I'm not, I don't, I'm not put, trying to put extra homework on your life. I'm saying if we pray these things, we'll see extra victory in our life. That's a good thing, right? So if God says, I want you to pray and talk to me and bring these things to me, it's not that God's saying, hey, I want to make your life miserable. He's saying, I want to, you see the power of God demonstrated the same way it was in the apostles the same way it can be in our life. <clears throat> The gift has already been made ready of our salvation. Now we need to use it for the glory of God. He's already given us this great gift. Now how do we neglect so great a salvation? And I believe it starts with verse 2. For if the word, for if the word. Um, Jesus said we need daily what? Bread. He knows you need food. He knows you need your cornflakes and all that good stuff. But daily bread, he's speaking, obviously, of spiritual bread. Uh, he said himself he is the bread of life and the written word. Is, he said he's also the written word as well and in, in, in numerous places, John 1, for example. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Jesus knows what he's talking about and he can be trusted. How about you? He, knows what he's he says you need the word of God more than you know you need it. I need it more than I know. But if the word is neglected... A couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, two things are taking place. If you neglect the Word, you have a Bible, you have 12 Bibles in the house, they're covered with dust, whatever, and you're not opening them, and you say, uh, well, I have a Bible, but I wait for some pastor to teach it on a Sunday or Wednesday or something like that. Uh, but if the Word is neglected, number one, it's not to believe the counsel of Jesus. Uh, that what, you're, what you're really saying is, I hear what you said, but I'm not buying it. That, that I, I'm not really believing that I really need this. Number two, you have no armor or protection being put on daily, right? Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Wiles of the devil. I want to be protected when I get attacked. How about you? I want to be protected. But I also want to believe the counsel of Jesus the first time. And, but he's gracious. If you've not been in the Word, he, he's, he loves you and he's saying... Now it's time to start believing my counsel. Get back. Open this up. You need to believe and you need the protection. And if the word is neglected, guess what else? Prayer will be neglected. Or at a minimum, our prayers will be without the word of God in our prayer and the spirit of God through our prayer. And the words of our prayers will basically be just powerless. So it's the same effect as if not praying at all. It's just powerless prayer. Jesus talked about this. Some people, he said, you know, they have vain repetitions, vain repetitions. They they can talk, but they think they're talking to God, but they're just talking to the wall, because the Word of God is not the center of their prayer life. Remember, our salvation brought us into relationship with God. We're saved to be in communion with God. The Word of God is speaking to us, and prayer is us speaking to God. Word of God is God speaking to us and prayer is us speaking to God. Now not exclusively because I can give you scenarios where both could happen on either side of the ledger but primarily. Does that make sense? Not exclusively but primarily because God can speak in other ways and we can actually speak the Word of God back to God as prayer. But for the most part the Word is God speaking to us and prayer is us speaking to God and again both can happen uh, as well. So if salvation Has given birth to our relationship with God, if salvation has given birth to our relationship with God, to drift away and to neglect our salvation is to do what? It's to neglect the relationship. It's to neglect the relationship. God says, I've brought you in a relationship and you're neglecting the relationship. Jesus invites us into the depth of relationship and the depth of his love and grace. No relationship will survive neglect. Did you know that? Those of you in business still just go ahead and never, never, never talk to the client at all. Someone else will have them as a client. Neglect your marriage. Neglect your kids. The relationship will grow farther and farther apart. Now remember, God never moves. We're the ones that move. Amen. He hasn't let go of our hand. We let go. We can run in front of a car. Or we can just kind of fall down and throw a tantrum. Anything could happen, right? But we're not to let go. We're to to remain in that relationship. I read on Wednesday night before we started the prayer uh, in James 4.8, James writes, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw. He'll keep his promise. Spurgeon said this, Charles Spurgeon, he said, Let it be the main point with us to get near to God. This done, all is done. Let it be the main point to draw near to God. This done, all is done. Let me add, if this is not done, then all is left undone. If we're not drawing near to God, everything is undone. Everything is unprotected. A mess awaits us eventually. And sometimes it doesn't happen, so people think, well, I'm not a mess yet, so it won't ever happen. But all of a sudden, something happens. Satan tempts a person in a way they've never been tempted before. A trial happened they've never been tried like before. Something tests their faith, and they fall apart because they were building on sand instead of the rock. That's what the Hebrews is warning. Don't do that. Don't drift away. The enemy, you'll be an easy, easy target. Don't drift away from the relationship that God has shed his own son's blood for us to have. Just neglect your grass this summer and see what happens. Mine just started growing. It'd be a jungle if I, if I neglected it. Um, stop showering for a while and see how that goes, right? <laughs> neglect showering. You might, the relationship might you're gonna fade anyway, and, you're, and you're, you might not want to do that. But uh, just give up getting oil changes for your car. Just neglect it altogether. Can't be that important. I think it's just Jiffy Lube trying to uh, take money from me or something like that. It's just too inconvenient. It's, not, it's so time-consuming, Right? No, things that are important have to be invested in. They can't be neglected. You have to do that. Uh, it's not scripture, but this, kids, like, the, like the, uh, the phone booth and the yellow page, this is something that we grew up hearing in the 70s and 80s. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's not a scripture, but it's true nonetheless. Isn't that true? An ounce of prevention really is worth a pound of cure. And what Hebrews 2 is saying here is prevent, 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 decay and drift by staying in this great salvation, investing in this great salvation, holding the hand of God. It's not a scripture, but it is true. um, We just had this marriage night last last weekend. It was great to have Alan and Miranda here. We had a packed house for our marriage night. It was awesome. We as a church invested. I invested a lot of time in that thing. Uh, We invested financially in it. But I believe marriages are that important. How about you? In your marriage, are you neglecting it or investing in it? There's major trouble ahead if you're neglecting it. And the same is true if we're neglecting our relationship with Christ. We could see major trouble if we neglect that relationship. And by the way, anyone who is investing in their walk with Christ will invest in their marriage. Did you hear me? If you're investing in your walk in Christ, you will invest in your marriage. It's axiomatic that that the Lord will give you the heart for your spouse and kids. It's just just the way God rolls. And it will happen, and it will happen consistently. And we talked about, I've talked about a lot lately, consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity. As, As you stay consistent, God will mature you. He'll mature your thinking. He'll mature your spiritual walk. Now, we know that God invested heavily in us. Amen? Where? At the cross. By the Holy Spirit, through the Word, through the apostles, through the church. What does investment on our part look like? It requires daily and consistently taking in what God has provided, His Word, for spiritual nourishment and growth and power and protection. We have to take it in. Amen? Last analogy. We have in our house a pantry and a fridge. Anyone else got one of these things, right? So you got a pantry and a fridge. In our pantry is breakfast foods like cereal, oatmeal. At times, something amazingly good for you like Pop-Tarts can be found in there, I will admit. In the fridge is eggs and milk and stuff like that. Since our, our girls are all of teen years, we've provided the food. We've placed it where it is easily accessible, Within reach, visible even for teenagers to find, visible. You know, I can't see it. Right there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, The foods that are there are to strengthen our family. They are. That's why we have them. But we also have chores and things like that, which build character. Um, But God calls us to go and pour it ourselves. And then get the milk out and pour it ourselves. He said, I've provided everything. The table's set, if you will. What will you now do? That I've provided everything. Everything's been provided in our salvation. You know, Corey ten Boom, you know, she survived uh, the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. Uh, God calls us to both commitment and diligence, regardless of circumstance. And she said this. She said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees, or woman. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord. A man or woman is powerful on their knees. Did you hear what she said? The appointment with the commitment brings power. One thing to remember, another thing to just neglect, right? The appointment with the commitment brings power. We need prayer, but we need more what comes through prayer, and that's the power of God. This is not about legalism. I'm not talking about a legalistic lifestyle. For me and for anyone that's found walking with Jesus, this is about life support. Did you hear me? Not legalism, life support. This is your lifeline to life in the Spirit. It's a relationship. It's strength. It's joy. It's perseverance. It's walking with Christ in harmony and obedience. To, to, to neglect it, is a slow drift, isn't it? But then you can just have a slow drift and then drop right off the end. Um, let's close with this. Look at verse 4. I want to personalize verse 4. We'll close with this, with this thought. Verse 4. What if as we do this, as we say, Lord, we believe in your counsel and we will not neglect, and as best we can, we'll, keep, we'll make appointments with you. We'll open your word just like cereal. We will pour it every morning or every day. We will talk with you throughout the day because there's power in that. Instead of worrying and fretting, we'll stop and pray. And, Lord, as you put in our hearts, we'll pray for other people more than we pray for ourselves because there's real, the real joy is in ministering to other people, not always bathing ourselves with what we think we need and becoming our eyes more on Christ and our eyes more On others now. Let's personalize verse four as we come to a close. If we said it like this, if we looked at verse four, God also bearing witness in us with His signs and wonders. Now I'm not talking about the signs and wonder movement of today. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that your life is a living miracle. When I see people like Alan Miranda, I know their life is a living miracle. I see. Jiba, who was with us that night, her life is a living miracle. But the people will see that your life is something that God has radically transformed. But look at it. Personalize it. God bearing witness through our lives with signs and wonders, with various miracles, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing from our life, right? That you're more loving, more faithful, more kind, according to His will. not And Lord, not according to my plans. Not according to my wish list longer I'm saved, I'm having to light a match to my wish list. How about you? But you know what? God promises greater peace, greater joy when we light a match to our wish list and say, Lord, I'm going to keep my eyes on you that I don't drift from you. I'm going to keep holding your hand until I finish this mission. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the faithfulness of your word. You don't warn us of these things because you want to just make our life miserable. Quite the opposite. You want to pour out your power in our life and, and help, help us to see the joy of people coming to Christ. The joy of growing a disciple. The joy of a marriage that's strengthened. The joy of our kids knowing you as Lord and Savior. The joy of, Lord, seeing people healed as we prayed at the outset of this service. And, Lord, so we pray, we ask that you would forgive us if we drifted. You forgive us if we moved our eyes off of the cross. And Lord, if we've not counted your salvation as great, even if we've heard it, we've just neglected it, Lord, I pray in this room. And with your heads bowed, if there's any of you, say, hey, that's me. I've either neglected or I've been drifting. And I want to just confess, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Just don't, don't feel like you're some, you know, the worst person on earth. You're not. Always someone worse. But I want to pray with you in, in just your honesty before the Lord. I've had to confess to people things sometimes, and I'm like, Lord, I don't really want to do this. But I'm like, God says, no, that confessing one to another that we'd be strengthened. God doesn't, he, he's not looking at us to, to kind of act like we're something we're not. He's saying, no, just say what you are, and I will change your heart's desires. So those of you ready, you can let, let your hands, I just want to pray. Lord, these that have raised their hand, I thank you for their honesty with you. You're going to reward it. I believe you're rewarded even today. The tenderness of their heart, the softness of their heart, Lord, I pray that that, uh, in areas they've been drifting, even now your spirit is forgiving and redirecting. And, Lord, you just call them back into that place where you want them to be. Each of us, Lord, I pray that you do a work of renewal in us. As we stand in worship, I pray, Lord, that your spirit all throughout this coming week just reminds us, Lord, keep our eyes on Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. In your name we pray.